I've seen the glory of the Lord shine in the hearts of the most unlikely people in a most unlikely place, and the glory of the Lord has reflected from them into my heart, and it's given me courage. His voice is familiar on radio. Charles Morris is our guest for this edition of First Person. Welcome, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Charles is the host of Haven Today on many radio stations. He's an experienced journalist who has turned his effort towards God's kingdom in his role as president of Haven Ministries. Plus, he's an author. His latest book is titled Fleeing ISIS, Finding Jesus, telling the stories of Christians persecuted in the Middle East. And we'll get to the conversation with Charles in just a moment. Your support of the Far East Broadcasting Company makes this program possible. FEBC proclaims Christ in many hard-to-reach countries of the world and believes in telling the stories of God at work in the world. Learn more about FEBC by visiting firstpersoninterview.com and clicking on the FEBC banner. Well, the journalist in Charles Morris means he cannot sit here in North America and tell the story of the persecuted church from here. So he decided to visit countries like Jordan and Iraq to learn firsthand the real story of God at work. He'll describe some of that today, but as we began talking in our respective studios, I asked him to begin with a word about his radio program. I'm in my 18th year of leading this ministry, but the ministry uh, uh, is just celebrating an 84th birthday founded in Hollywood, California. I'm the fourth speaker, and it began as the haven of rest. And in the 1930s, in the Great Depression, uh, if you were on the radio, uh, you had to have a a music group. We had a male quartet. Uh, We had a theater organ playing underneath the entire program. Of course, you have to have that. At a a movie theater. And uh, my predecessor um, dropped the name Rest because we kept getting calls thinking we were a retirement home or a crematorium. <laughs> and after after 9-11, I added uh, today, because my background, I was one of those bad guys. I was a secular journalist. Oh, boy. And in my 20s, I was running from the Lord. I knew the Lord, Wayne, but I was running from the Lord. I was a Jonah. and But thank God he reeled me back in like he did Jonah. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and and so it changed my whole life you know mm. uh, so anyway i'm 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 very thankful i enjoy what i'm doing now um and and basically the older i get and i'm in my 60s now i just enjoy seeing what the lord is doing around the world amen because i want to be encouraged in my faith but i want to encourage couch potato christians where i live in their faith to get off the couch, because I need to get off the couch. Well, you and I think a lot alike in many ways, and that's certainly one of them. Charles, I wanted to talk to you today because you've written just an outstanding book called Fleeing ISIS, Finding Jesus, The Real Story of God at Work. Now, give us the background on this. You've been, as you said, you like to travel and and hear God's stories around the world. Uh, You've been to the Middle East a number of times, haven't you? I have. Uh, I'm up to three times in Iraq, uh, but uh, more than that to uh, gone through Turkey, more than that in Jordan. And of course, as a ministry leader, we do tours to Israel. So I've been to Israel um, many, many times. And um, uh, but I guess, you know, I'll 
I'll confess to this. I do read the New York Times. Um, but I also read Fox News and other news sites as well. And I don't know if one is more fake news than the other. I, I we're, we're living in chaotic times here. But uh, two summers ago, Wayne, I read an article in the New York Times written, I'm sure, by a non-Christian reporter, but asking the question, is Christianity dead or dying in the Middle East? And just for the record, I don't like to travel, but I like to be there <laughs> anymore. Right, right. I understand the difference, right? <laughs> exactly. So um, I just, I couldn't get this off my brain, you know. Um, is Christianity dead or dying in the Middle East? So I looked around to find out who was, who's the largest Christian organization doing anything in the Middle East? Turns out it's Samaritan's Purse. Uh, I've done things with Voice of the Martyrs, too. But I contacted uh, Samaritan's Purse, and they were very kind. The country director was very kind. He just spent a week taking me around the country. And I took um, our videographer and our web programmer with me because he is always ready to do something like this. And so we just traveled around the country. And the thing I kept running into was uh, uh, people who had become Christians. And I'm talking about former Muslims, former Yazidis, and people that I would call nominal Christians, and we can get into that uh, if you want. Mm -hmm. And many of them would, um, especially the former Muslims, uh, came to Christ by way of a dream or a vision of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, and there's one thing, you know. There's 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 not a lot of community and commonality of of of, you know. They just don't have the means of communication like we do. And uh, but uh, for this book that you were referring to, did a hundred interviews, and uh, what you find people will telling tell you, you ask them, tell me about yourself. What's your faith? They'll say, well, I'm a lover of Jesus. And they didn't read that in a book. Nobody, they didn't hear Christian radio to tell them that. It just comes out of them. I'm a lover of Jesus. Well, you describe them as the most remarkable Christians you know. Um, talk to me more about why they're remarkable. Well, for one thing, they pray for their enemies. <laughs> and, and I can't say I always do that. Or other Christians I know in the Western Hemisphere do that. They pray for those who persecute them. They pray for ISIS. Uh, and and, and um, yes, uh, they, they don't like ISIS, but they also see the hand of God. And the, and the strange thing is ISIS, of course, doesn't realize this, Wayne, but um, the, the spirit of the living God is using ISIS to actually promote the gospel of Jesus Christ in a most unlikely part of the world. And, All right, you have um, to explain. You have to explain that one further. Well, well, it's it's uh, you know they don't know like Cyrus, you know, or like like many ancient rulers that were not God fearers. You know, they worshipped idol gods, worshipped themselves that were in Iraq or what would have been called Babylon or Assyria. Um, uh, Nimrud, uh, the ancient city from Genesis 10, where Nimrod would walk out to the tell that's still there. I was just there about five weeks ago. And, uh, and the locals, the Muslim villagers, will tell you the story about how King Nimrod would climb the, this large 
hill, massive hill, and would tell the God of the heavens that I'm greater than you. And of course, you we read about that in, in Genesis 10, and, and I was probably very close to where ancient Babylon was located. Mm-hmm. And I was... Um, and at the same time, I was 20 miles south of Mosul, which is ancient Nineveh, and uh, and ISIS, of course, being who they are, they try to they want to stamp out all other religion, they want to stamp out history. So the gate that Jonah would have entered uh, to preach uh, uh, the, the the a message of repentance that led to a revival in ancient Nineveh, they've managed to destroy that massive gate. Uh, it's in gone. a couple of years. So wow. you could, you know, the American, uh, so 20 miles south in, in Nimrud, um, every time U.S. Uh, planes would, would, would let a bomb down over Mosul trying to get rid of ISIS, you wouldn't just hear the bomb. The earth would literally shake underneath you, even 20 miles away. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I was as close as four miles from Mosul. I promised our board and my wife I wouldn't go into Mosul, but <laughs> yeah. um, four miles away. But you could you could hear the mortars being lobbed, the chatter of AK forty sevens, and yeah. um, and of course, thankfully, I didn't see any of what just has started up again a few days ago, and that was yes. Uh, as we speak, the battle for Mosul is going on. It's a it's a fierce battle, as a matter of fact. Now, now I, w- I want to take you back to something, Charles. You said that they pray for their enemies. You know, when we think about about praying for our enemies, we think about someone that, you know, did us wrong or cut us off in traffic or that kind of silly thing. But when they pray for their enemies, they're praying for the very people who are out to destroy their life and take their life. Yes, and, and, and take their homes away from them and have in most instances. Yeah, it's... it's um, they don't linger so much on the evil of ISIS as to... They, they really take the words of Jesus to turn the other cheek and forgive their enemies. They take that literally in a way I don't see as much of where I live, and I don't see so much of in my own life. And, um, and I see this particularly among the Christians, like in Karakosh, an ancient town of um, 60,000. It would be the largest Christian town in the, in the, in, it's an island in the Sea of uh, Islam in the Middle East. And um, uh, nobody can go back. There are no homes. You know, I've had Christian friends where I live say, oh, well, once we get rid of ISIS and Mosul, well, everybody can go back home. They don't have any homes to go back to. No, it's destroyed. When, what you, absolutely. And, and one of the other things we don't take into account is uh, ISIS was able to capture all of the American weapons and munitions that uh, we gave to the Iraqi troops and the thousands of Iraqi troops uh, dropped them because they were so afraid and fled from um, the ISIS soldiers of much fewer numbers. They've taken that and they have uh, manufactured more and planted more mines, more landmines, more IEDs, booby traps than in any other conflict in human history. So um, when I was there a few weeks ago, um, I went into some of these churches that they had taken over in Karakosh, and uh, as they were forced to flee by coalition forces, they would booby trap the doors. 
so that hoping that Christians would come back, open the doors to their church so they could go in and pray, and they could kill a few more Christians. And uh, I was actually doing a radio interview, and I hadn't heard the Iraqi uh, soldier who was looking after us and had helped with taking the mines out of this church. I started to walk through a doorway, and... uh, And uh, the videographer, cameraman that I had with me, he reached out his arm and just grabbed me as I was live on an interview. And uh, because they hadn't um, they hadn't dismantled the booby trap that was in that Mm -hmm. in that in that room of the church. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's and 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 yet what has happened back to the the way ISIS is promoting the Great Commission people who since the second century, there are denominations uh, maybe even the end of the first century, but at least the second century, there are denominations uh, in Iraq, in Syria, that can trace their roots back uh, to the disciples or uh, the disciples of the original disciples. And uh, uh, in some villages uh, like Kalkosh, uh, which is about 30 miles from Mosul, they still speak Aramaic, the same language as Jesus. They pray the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic. And, and yet, for them, it's the religion, for many of them, not all, it's the religion of their fathers. It's religion that goes back many generations. And yet, because of ISIS, their faith has become real. Even priests that I've met will start speaking in language that would relate to any born-again Christian in the Western Hemisphere. His book, Fleeing ISIS, Finding Jesus, tells these stories, and we'll learn more from Charles Morris coming up in a moment. This is Ed Cannon, president of the Far East Broadcasting Company. The interview we're listening to reminds me of the remarkable way that God uses those who follow Christ to do great things for Him. At FEBC, we broadcast in nearly 50 countries of the world. Our staff always speaking in the local language, sharing the gospel, and teaching the word to millions every day. If you'd like to know more about FEBC, please click on the FEBC banner at firstpersoninterview.com. My guest is Charles Morris. Charles is the host, of course, of Haven Today on radio and the author of Fleeing ISIS, Finding Jesus, which is what we're talking about today here on First Person. Charles, this had to be a very emotional experience for you to take uh, this latest trip and all the trips that you've taken to the Middle East, especially when you sit down with these these persecuted Christians whom ISIS has just destroyed everything that they own and, and forced them to flee. Well, yes, Wayne, it... it... It's even the non-Christians, you know, standing uh, at one of those mass graves of Yazidis at the base of Sinjar Mountain uh, was probably, I've I've been to a German concentration camp in my life, and that was very sobering, but I've never had more angst than than standing next to a a little field of nothing but bones and Mm. bleached out bones with some shreds of clothing still there because ISIS didn't even bothered to bury them but but you know aside from all the evil and the fact that right now of 2000 troops left left in Mosul a third of those are child soldiers not teenagers child soldiers 
Um, more than that are just the stories of how Christ has worked in somebody's heart and in their life. And, you know, if we have time, I could I could give you a, a current story that I heard a few weeks ago. I could give you a dream story. You know, you pick, Wayne. Well, and, well, and, let, uh, let, let's uh, pick it up wherever you want to pick up. I, I just want to, as the time remains, I want to hear some of these stories. Well, okay. This is um, about a month ago. Uh, I have a friend of mine who works for a humanitarian aid organization, grew up in Chicago, um, right next to uh, Wheaton, and uh, comes out of a brethren background. They study the Bible, serious students of the Bible, and yet this friend of mine, at age 33, with two great little kids and his wife, had never shared the gospel with anybody else one-to-one, personally. And so he's on the outskirts of Mosul doing what they call an assessment on how much food, how many how many blankets, because it's very cold in the winter, just like summers are equally hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's doing this assessment, and this staff car of the Peshmerga, that's the Kurdish army, uh, rolls up behind him and screeches to a stop, and out jumps a guy who it turns out is the commander of their special forces. Not a guy you would want to meet in a dark alley. This guy's a tough guy. And uh, the Peshmerga are the, are the finest fighting forces in the Middle East. Uh, I, and I'd put them ahead of the Iranian guard. Uh, so anyway, he says, are you an American? Yes. Uh, get in the car. You're a Christian. They assume all Americans are Christians over there. <laughs> so he gets in the car. The guy says to my friend, um, Islam has done nothing for my people, and it has done nothing for me. I want to know how to become a Christian. He was that so blunt. So my friend is, yeah, yeah, very blunt. And so this this um, this friend of mine, who's never shared his faith personally with anybody in his life, he just happened to have his little pocket Bible that he keeps with him as he has to travel around the world. So he pulls his pocket Bible out. He didn't know what else to do. But I'm sure running through his mind was, you know, that the Spirit would provide the words you need to say. And uh, so he just starts reading long passages of uh, Romans to this guy. And at the end of the hour, uh, great tears are welling down this, this toughened commander's face. And he and his driver pray to receive Christ. Now, uh, I mean, that's a a beautiful story, but it gets even better. When I was there a month ago, he found out we were going to be near his base. And so he asks my friend to stop by. And my friend had told him I was this radio pastor visiting from America. Well, bring him by. And he gave us a time. We got there and we discovered why. Uh, Just leaving were three U.S. Army Special Forces. And these two, you know, guys with crushing handshakes but smiling faces. And, you know, we we introduced ourselves to each other. But they had been visiting with this guy. And uh, and so we went on into his – at his base, at his headquarters. And there were the current battle maps on the walls around the room. And, but there on the operations table was a, a, a Bible. And uh, I've seen that same Bible in Arabic and English because I bought one in Jerusalem, just inside the Damascus Gate. And uh, he saw me looking at that Bible and he started laughing and he gave me the greatest smile that I think I've ever been, I've ever seen. And he said, I just wanted 
to tell those U.S. Army guys from America that I'm now a follower of Jesus, and I wanted to ask them if they are a follower of Jesus. <laughs> so there again is the reverse Great Commission of yeah. Mark Wayne. The beat goes on, doesn't it? There. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> um, you you interviewed um, Christians who, who have uh, fled because of ISIS. Uh, tell me one of their yes. stories, just quickly. Well, uh, yes, absolutely. And I, I've done a lot of that, especially in Jordan, which even though it's an Islam, uh, a Muslim country, it would be um, about as safe as you could find in the Middle East. And, um, you know, I'm thinking of a young couple that um, uh, he's, uh, well, I guess I shouldn't say his name, but anyway, uh, He's about 25. His wife is 20. They have a little girl who I think has just now had her second birthday. And uh, he was almost killed in a bus explosion by Al-Qaeda before ISIS. And then ISIS came through their town, this Karakosh that I just mentioned, and they have no home to go back to. And so um, uh, we introduced them to a church in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, they're going in, uh, they've got a house for them, a job, English language, and uh, this guy calls me Mr. Charles when he emails me, Mr. <laughs> Charles. I got my physical yesterday, and, and uh, or I met with the Canadian embassy. Most of these people want to go home, Yes, but like I said earlier, they have no home to go to. Yeah, we don't understand that. They would rather go home than anything else, but what's left? Of course, but they have no family left. Their families are either dead or totally dispersed. It's a diaspora yeah. uh, of not Jews, but of other people groups. And yet at the same time, when, when this, this guy emails me and says, Mr. Charles, there is always this joy of the Lord. Now, he came from, he would have considered himself a Christian, but only because of ISIS would he now consider himself a born-again Christian. Oh, wow. It's kind of like the gold dealer in Mosul that I include the story of in the book. Um, he tried to stay thinking he could pay the Muslim head tax, but of course ISIS doesn't even follow the rules of Islam. And he finally starts to get out. He loads up his big Mercedes with all the gold he could fit in it because he was a multimillionaire. And he gets to the last checkpoint and it turns out the Kurds have left, the Peshmerga left, and it's ISIS. And oh. so they end up seeing what he has in his car. Uh, they, they, they give him back his shoes, but they keep his passport, his Mercedes, and his gold. And, he, and this man who's around my age had to walk like 30 miles to safety. Oh he tells you, I called myself a Christian, but now even though I have nothing... I have everything because I have Jesus. Oh. That's what's going on there. That's what we need to have going on in our hearts too, Wayne. My thanks to Charles Morris for taking the time to talk with us about the stories he's found that reveal how believers are victorious in the midst of suffering. The book you'll want to read is titled Fleeing ISIS, Finding Jesus, and we will place links on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. I'd like to thank the Far East Broadcasting Company for their support of this program, allowing us to find and bring you these stories each week. FEBC's extensive broadcast ministry has seen remarkable results in terms of people of many cultures turning to Christ and learning His Word. And your support of FEBC is vital. Learn more at firstpersoninterview.com. 
Next week, we'll talk with missiologist Patrick Johnstone, who wrote Operation World. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard, inviting you to join us next week for First Person.